everyone, and welcome to Do I Still Love It, the soft edge flashback sequence for your own life. I'm your host, Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. And every week, uh, we invite a friend over to watch a movie or TV show we remember loving when we were kids to see whether or not we still love it now that we're adults. And tonight, that guest is comedy writer-director Diana Wright. Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm oh. doing well. Thank you. doing well? Doing so yeah, good. doing yeah. well. Diana, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, projects that you've been working on. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, oh, man, self-promotion. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer-director mostly, uh, so I have a web a web series. Oh, watch my web series. It's called Hashtag Hashtagging. You can find it on my website, dianawright.net. I don't have .com. <laughs> <laughs> That is someone else. If you find Diana Wright, the Jamaican talk show host, that's also not me. I wish it was. She's the Oprah of Jamaica. Oh, my gosh. I wish that could be me. There's plenty of Diana Wrights. They all do great things. It's really wonderful. Apparently, there's like a clown who works with a dog. You know, it's just, it's a diverse crew. It's a good name. It's a good good name. company. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so this week's uh, fond, nostalgic wander into the past is 1993's The Sandlot. I actually, I picked this movie for a specific reason, which is I haven't seen it since my childhood, Perfect. which is one of the only requirements <laughs> to be a guest on this podcast. the only requirement. Well, the other requirement that you, is that you actually you liked it. You did love it. Yes. Yeah. And I did love it. I love sports movies. I love all sports movies. Uh, however, I was talking to someone like a couple of years ago who had just seen it for the first time as an adult. And oh. like, I was like, oh my God, the Sandlot, like it's so amazing. And they were like... No, it's not. It doesn't work. Oh, no. And so I like I was like, this is the perfect experiment because oh this is like we have to see if this is still going to work. And I also wonder if it's still it, like, you know, you have to love it as a kid. If you only see it as an adult, that's like a different because like, right. It brings back memories say, of your childhood. Yeah. Because I've met some people who say like they've only watched Star Wars as an adult and they don't. Get, yeah. They don't get the hook of it. But like I, I watch it as an adult and I've loved it continuously since being yeah. a kid. So I wonder if it's one of those things where like if it didn't get you early, you're not a Star Wars person. Exactly. If you didn't get it early, you're not a Sandlot person. Because there's still like the element of like you remember who you were when you were watching that. That's that's different than you're just like watching a movie that everyone says is great. And you're like, oh, this has major plot holes. Uh, right. There's, you know, a difference there. So... In, like, 30 seconds, what do you remember this movie being about? Uh, uh, I remember it being about, like, a latchkey group of kids who play baseball, and uh, there's, like, a giant dog in it, and I know that it involves some, like, signed baseball history nostalgia baseballs, and uh, they end up, like, destroying both of them, but I think they all, like, learn, like, a really good lesson at the end. I don't remember what the lesson is, but I agree with you. I believe it's something like, you know, baseball is brings friends together. Like, it's, yeah, like uh, like baseball is more important than signed baseballs. Right. Baseball, like, the, the anti-drug. Institu- yeah, the institution is more important than souvenirs. Yeah, exactly. It's the act of playing baseball that's American as apple pie, not putting baseballs in glass boxes. Right. The amount of stuff I actually remember from this movie is pretty high for how bad my memory from my childhood seems to be. I was gonna say, what do you remember that she... Um, forever. Oh, yeah. Forever. Yeah. What I remember is, you're killing me, Smalls. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, also, um, you know, watching a seven-year-old kid 
trick a teenage girl into making out with him. Oh, I don't remember that at oh. all. Oh, that's right. Ooh, yeah, I wonder he, how questionable he this this quote part unquote is. drowns. So that and she has to get... like save him. Right. Yeah, yeah, that is in this movie. What's his name? Squints. Squints. Good name. So you mentioned that you know, one of the things is that you hadn't seen it in a long time. Can you guess like right around what age was Diana Wright the last time you saw this movie, and what was she like? Okay, I don't think. I saw it in theaters, so I'm guessing I saw it around, like, 9 or 10 kind of thing at home. Uh, and I uh, I think I, I actually think one of the reasons why I like these movies and I like sports movies in general is that, like, I love a good underdog story. And I think growing up, I was a huge underdog. Like, I was chubby and awkward. And, like, I don't think I had that many friends. And I was, like, very quiet and reserved. And so it's just, like, I associated with, like, this idea of, like, all these kids can come together and like win and be on top. Uh, and so that's what I think like I, I like associate with that movie and associate with like growing up. I feel like what I wanted most was like a like a freedom. Like I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, my house is like very isolated. It was like you had to be driven everywhere. And so like the idea of like being able to like ride your bike to your friend's house, it was like an insane concept to me. And that's like all I wanted was like a cul-de-sac that I could like ride a bike around being like, Oh, wow. Jimmy, let's go to the club. I don't, I don't know how kids act. <laughs> I don't know what kids are. You know, the kids club. You know that kids club. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 what I associate. I think. Yeah, that's I love funny. that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because like I definitely grew up in the burbs. He literally grew up in a cul-de-sac. I, I grew up on a cul-de-sac in a burb. But the thing is, I remember envying kids like this movie who, because in I distinctly kind of remember that these kids don't exactly live in the burbs. They more just live like in the, like in the housing divisions within a city so yeah they're like the working so they're like the working class like latchkey kids like you said because like i could ride my bike around our our suburb but our suburb was infinity from any place that wasn't a house so you you could bike around the neighborhood but there was nowhere to go there were no parks there were no shopping there was no diner there's no place you could go to you could just bike around the endless So this is like the, the combination of our, our perfect childhood. It's the like midway between the, your inner, your city life and my suburb life was this like... This perfect the, world where you had like freedom and also things to do. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I actually lived in pretty much the exact world that Sandlot was created in. Oh, so you lived in a... What is that perfect world that Diana and I oh, my God. to have like? Um, well, I grew, up, I grew up in a kind of a small town and... I actually grew up on Main Street. Oh, wow. wow. Main Street. And, Main Street, um, USA. Yeah. And my house really was kind of like the rundown house on the nice block because my brother had a collection of shitty cars. Like on the yard? On the yard, in the back. I kind of felt like I actually lived at the house with the big dog in the backyard. All right. It now seems like a good time. Let's everyone put on our fuzzy wayback glasses as we watch a movie from the '90s about life in the '60s with 1993's *The Sandlot*. I know you're smart, and I'm proud of you. I want you to make some friends this summer. Meet Scotty Smalls. Kale, get it! The kid is a L7 weenie. My lace is over. Man, this is baseball. You gotta stop thinking. Just have fun. Climb trees, hop fences, get into trouble. Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it. Now he's in. Yeah! All right! With the coolest guys in the neighborhood. They've got the look. Wendy Peppercorn. 
They've got the moves. They've got the rap. Blockhead! Geek! Jerk! Idiot! Moron! You bop for apples in the toilet! And you like it! You play ball like a girl! Something else has got their ball. That wasn't my ball! Dad's father gave it to him. Babe Ruth signed that ball. Babe Ruth! We gotta get that ball back. You got any bright ideas? Initiate retrieval section number one. Power connect. Come on, hold me, it's heavy. Now. Century Fox presents... Hey guys, it's the Sandlot Babies. You're the ones that making all that racket. A lifetime of adventure. Come on, Squid, you can do it. Go through, bud. Little bird. The Sandlot. A little piece of paradise, a half a block wide, and a whole season long. Well, we are coming back into the present, and that was The Sandlot. Uh, wow, guys. So, that movie, as we learned, a, a nostalgic movie that we are nostalgic for. <laughs> that also is about nostalgia. That is about nostalgia. There's for... so much nostalgia going I think on. at one point we went into four levels of nostalgia. I think there was four levels of flashback at one point in time. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a but flashback movie. us. Yeah, yeah, it's us watching a flashback movie that is a flashback that then has additional flashbacks right. within it. Right. Because <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we had a, a, the time frame of, in 2017, we're watching a movie about the early 90s, about a guy reminiscing about the 60s, and in the reminiscence about the 60s, somebody tells a story about their grandfather in, like, the 19-teens. <laughs> it's a good time. So, yeah. So let's just kind of launch right into it. So definitely... You, rem- you remembered it correctly, Diana, the, the plot, but as we kind of noted, there isn't this isn't exactly a movie based on plot. Oh my god, yeah, there was like a full hour until the plot started. Like, most of it was just like, hey, let's all just hang out. <laughs> let's just like relive these kids' golden summer. Yeah. yeah it's it- like, oh yeah, they're all buds, and it's like a delightful time to watch. Like, it's so fun. So true. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely takes, it, it feels this kind of... Uh, coming-of-age story, and that I feel like a lot of coming-of-age stories, the the plot is just watching these kids do things, and it, there isn't exactly a, oh, they have a goal. I mean, they eventually get a goal. Like you said, halfway through the movie, they finally <laughs> discover a problem that must be solved. But until that point, it's just a lot of little vignettes. Yeah, it's just chronological of, like, what they do during their... But it's that kind yeah. of, like, what you, like, are, like striving for like you want you just want like an aimless summer like that's what i loved about it like it's just like they have like an like they're like oh they have nothing to do all day so they just like play baseball in this abandoned lot that i guess is also a baseball diamond (laughs) and i think i don't know i feel like there's something so effective about the nostalgia of this movie because in watching this film and their summer i am nostalgic for my golden summer 
which was nothing like theirs. Yeah, so it's interesting because I don't think I have a distinct memory of a specific summer that stands out. But I know as as I was watching, I was like, oh, I remember striving for summers like this. Because the thing I thought that was interesting when you suggested, uh, di- like, like Diana, like, enthusiastic, was like, oh, can we do the, the Sandlot? And I was like, yeah. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, this is a movie about young boys. Um, but but you were, like, really enthusiastic about this. I'm like, eh, it doesn't matter. But as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I wonder what girls who grew up as young girls, like, think about this window onto idealized young boy life. Because I remember watching it feeling like, oh, man, I wish I had all of the things in this, you know. <laughs> well, I, we talked about it a little bit in the movie where it sort of felt like this is like the boy, my girl, the boy now and then. Like, there's definitely a level of like, there. It, it's definitely like this is boys will be boys at like their peak. Uh, and there were a few moments where I was like, hey, wait a minute. Like, there are a few, like, you play like a girl. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I think this movie would be perfect if I could, like, refilm this movie if it had, like, a tomboy girl in it who, like, was there being like, I can play baseball, too. Like, that's what I think it's, like, missing. Like, it means, like, the, the girl being like, I also like baseball. But, like, I don't know. It's just that... The nostalgia factor, or it's just, it's genderless. Like, it's just yeah. like this, I think what it is for me is this idea of like, yeah, that like aimless play that you could just go around and have this like group of kids and whether it's like boys or girls. It's like funny too, like the same ideas, like now and then's all about like getting a treehouse and this has like an awesome treehouse. Like the, the parallels are all there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just different things happen. <laughs> like, yeah, and I feel like that, that situation because your main character, like we meet... The new kid. He rolls in at the end of his school year. He's got to start summer in a whole new neighborhood. Awkward relationship with stepdad. Yeah, and he's too smart for to be cool. And so he's just awkward. And I, I feel like I feel like everyone at this table, kind of, from the stories <laughs> that I've heard, steps into that character pretty easily. What? Totally. I, I was definitely a Scotty Smalls. And like. so to see this kid be accepted after, you know, a few hardships of trying to get there, you know, so it was realistic, like, he had to take some knocks, but to be accepted, and then just for two-thirds of the movie, for him to just be a part of this crew, it doesn't feel like a gendered story, because that is a universal sensation. That's fair, that's fair. Yeah, I definitely identified with Scotty. Um, in the very first time he walks to the Sandlot, he, I guess he just is aware of it, that, that it exists. So he kind of saunters out there, completely ill-prepared, and embarrasses himself. And the there's a moment of like real good acting on the part of the uh, actor who plays Scotty where he just is so terrifyingly embarrassed for like missing the ball for like the third time that he just sort of like keeps himself from crying and just runs off the field. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck man, that hurts because I definitely have been so bad at something around my peers that I just go, don't cry, just run away. Yeah, you got the (laughs) runaway moment. I feel like it's interesting because I did, like there are plenty of times when there are screaming straight at the camera like there it's the cheese ball factors up there but i actually felt like all of them were like pretty decent kid actors uh-huh, like yeah. legit like yeah. legit kid actors like there's like a level of like i don't know if it's now whether i'm just older so like i identify less but i feel like they're all like nowadays when i see a kid movie they're all like overacting and here they definitely had moments of overacting but it felt like it felt like this like 
kind of more, I don't know, realistic kind of kid way of handling it. No, I agree. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, Stranger Things. There's several moments in Stranger Things where the boys fight with each other. And the way they fight with like the starting with like the pushing and like the like stupid little kid insults. I'm like, that's very genuine. I remember being an 11-year-old boy, and that is how we fight. And there's scenes in this movie, too, where, like, there, like there's a moment where Ham, the the heavier uh, ginger kid, like, slams a ball <laughs> over the beast's fence. And everyone's like, Ham, you asshole, now we can't play anymore. And he's just running around gloating about cracking a homer, and everyone's like sort of half beating him up, but in that way that I'm like, oh yeah, like whenever you're an asshole, like all the guys in a group of guys will like beat up on you a little bit. But you know they're all going to like come together and like hang out tomorrow. Like it's going to be all fine. It's not a full on violent thing. It's more like we all got to like give you a good solid punch in the arm because you're being a dick, you know? There's a level of like, I, I realize that I put this on the like underdog sports movies, but... It's really not because it doesn't end like yeah. and underdog sports movies always end with the big game and either they like win and are surprising to win or like they lose but they learn like a bigger lesson and this like has no big game their big well, game is like f- well they do play that. one of the game. one of the vignettes has a big game but but yeah where I they're like your... not the underdog but it's also it's like in the middle of the movie and it's like played through like weird graphic flashbacks like (laughs) it's like the only time they have like star wipes in the movie they're like what like it's so unimportant that these like other kids come in they're like rich kids (laughs) come in yeah so let's talk about that for a moment so there's a there's a moment or there's a moment midway through the movie once once smalls has become part of the team and the rich kids show up and you know they're the rich kids because they all have uniforms right and all these plucky underdog stories like the mighty ducks does this exact same thing. All the ducks are just wearing whatever the fuck their mom put on, dressed them in. And then the, the rival team shows up and they all got their slick uniforms. And they're like, dudes, we're rich white kids. We obviously are good at this game and going to kick your asses. Yeah. And did like, did the uniform come with matching like perfect Schwinn bikes? Because they all had the exact same Schwinn bike. Yeah. The, I mean, yes, yes, it did. Yeah, it was, it was that's part, part of the, the uniform. They the have uniform. a great team sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They all roll in. They uh, they do like a little kid insult fight, <laughs> where he, someone calls him like a pee drinking barf face, and I'm just like, yes, these are great little kid. But then insults. it goes too far. Then it goes too yes. far when he points out that he, the uh, wealthy white kid, plays like a girl. Which, of course, is the worst thing you can uh, be told when you're a little boy. And this movie definitely reinforced that to me as a kid. Because I was like, oh, ooh, like a girl. They're terrible at everything. <laughs> like, that was great. <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking of, uh, you know, Monet Davis, the Little League pitcher yeah. superstar. And how you can't say play like a girl anymore as an insult. Because all you can do is bring up her and how she kicked ass at the Little League uh, World Series. And true. now, uh, you know, baseball is genderless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Monet. Thanks, Monet. <laughs> it's interesting that, like, as far as the fact that, like, this takes place in the 1960s. And we have main characters who are... We, we have almost no female main characters. I mean, we have Scotty's mom. But uh, several of the boys are, like, Latino, and there's a black kid on the team. And uh, and yet this is not a race story movie. Like, Jack, like you know, Jackie Robinson doesn't come up or any of this sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting in that it takes this kind of early 
90s idea of like, oh, we're just going to put a bunch of kids, uh, we'll put a, like a slightly diverse cast, but we're not going to talk about racism because that's not what this story is really about, which I kind of dug. Like I dug that our hero, Benny Rodriguez, is Latino, but his being Latino, it's not like, oh, but he's the poor kid, you know, like it's none of the stereotypical I'm things. I'm pretty sure Benny was the rich kid. I think actually. he was the rich kid because he kept having all of the extra gloves and hats and he, <laughs> he just had magical back pockets throughout yeah. the entire movie. If you needed it, he was carrying he it in his back pockets. He treated the entire group to um, the carnival. The carnival. That was weirdly expensive for the 60s. Yeah, oh, those tickets cost a dollar. dollar. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of That's, money. That's That was more than the cost of a baseball. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't even notice the cost of the tickets. A dollar? A dollar for those Jesus. tickets. Jesus. That's and, like yeah. 1990s ticket Oof. prices. Yeah, and like I wonder I wonder if it if it was a carnival that's just been going around and they didn't even think to change it. I think I think it was probably 1990s prices and yeah. they were like, oops a daisy. Yeah, because I didn't even notice the, the ticket prices. Yeah, because Benny gives everybody shit anytime anyone cracks a ball over the because they're like, oh, that's 98 cents. You got a spare 98 cents laying around? And he says it with the like, you got a spare $10,000 laying around? Because that's a lot of money. Meanwhile, yeah. he's got just piles of cash in his back pocket and he's the rich kid of the block. Yeah. I did think I, I like liked you point out a little trivia fact that I enjoyed uh, just on the like diversity factor of like the 1990s the, of the hat oh, right. for the so Danunez who's the black kid in the cast and he's the pitcher of the Sandlot team he the whole movie he's wearing a Kansas City Monarchs hat which the Kansas City Monarchs was with, like a top top level Negro Leagues baseball team that would have still been on operation in 1962 because the Negro Leagues weren't disbanded until 65 I think uh, so, like, yeah, that was sort of interesting that, like, it was just a nice little touch. But certainly there's a level of, like, yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of you know, just being in the 60s, like, race issues were, were happening, and this is just sort of like a, oh, we're just going to make a diverse cast and not question it ever. <laughs> like, right. yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, they probably wouldn't be playing together, but who cares? Like, it's fine. And it was, you know, yeah. just very nicely done. Yeah. But yeah, a little, little nod to the Negro League. I thought that was a cool fact. Yeah, it was very cool. Well, I also like the, the, the like, nod to Hank Aaron oh, from, right. with, with the Babe Ruth yeah. Coming in, I totally forgot that Babe Ruth comes into a dream sequence. That was that forgot my mind, and that's like horrible early like green screen technology. I thought that Babe Ruth was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, and then he like takes the the Hank base the Hank Aaron card, and he's like, something tells me I gotta like keep this. And like for me. I love sports movies, but, like, I don't know anything about sports. Like, I love going to baseball games. I don't care who plays. Like, I don't have any. So, like, I was like, why did he take that card? And I just happened to learn that the the trivia is that Hank Aaron, shortly after this movie would have taken place, breaks Babe Ruth's home run record. So, like, the not, it's a wink and a nod to, like, he's the greatest of the great, but a guy is about to, like, essentially unseat him as the Sultan of Swat. The Colossus of Clout. The... The Colossus of Cloud. You have to repeat it because the repeaters yeah. are there. Yeah. I I can't believe that I remembered the fact that the, the two brothers start a playground equipment company. I don't know why I remembered that. <laughs> right. But in like the like end, like the, what they all did, I was like, I'm pretty sure one of them started a playground company. <laughs> <laughs> like one of them they did. Yeah. I was like, that's insane. <laughs> Do you think the implication is that because they, they mentioned that they build playground equipment and... Uh, for, prefab tree houses is the implication that the brother the twins or i guess they're not twins but the brothers are the ones who built the sandlot tree house 
Possibly. I think it's all supposed to be like a wink and a nod to the summer because they also have that mention that Yaya created bungee jumping because he was the one who got like lowered into the the beast, yard, pit. The beast pit. Um, but and you'd all think this. after being lowered into the beast pit and then almost being eaten that he would not want to man. He maybe it was a secret thrill. He's, he's been chasing the thrill ever yeah, since. He's chasing that dragon. <laughs> chasing that dragon. I did enjoy uh, the the beast, the puppet of, of it for like yeah. I would say a good like eighty five percent of the film. It's just this dog puppet. That's right. insane. That's massive. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I truly appreciate about this movie is in the beginning before you see the dog. The dog is kid size massive. So it's like the the size of things that you really. If you went back in time, they're not that big, but they're so big in your head. And they they narrate that for you. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was such a good touch. I think this movie does a good job of clicking you into your kid brain. Because it's not nostalgic because you're looking back. It's nostalgic because you can see your own memories inside of it. That was real schmaltzy. But Ooh. like, no, no, no. That was, be- yeah, as, that as was you were beautiful. saying, it, like, that is going on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> so... One thing that I thought was funny, once the, once we got into full dog territory, uh, <laughs> it's just it's just like an an unneutered big mastiff dog that's just got a giant dick and balls. And it hops over the camera a lot. <laughs> it's just a lot of dick and balls. And it reminded me it reminded me that like of this weird fact that I found out about Wishbone is that Wishbone was played by multiple dogs and all except one were males. And the female is the one who does the shot flying over the camera so that you wouldn't have a dog penis in your, just like, whoa, a dog penis. Are you really? So they're, so I'm, so I was like, if anything, what they need is like a female mastiff to do all these like over the camera shots. So you don't just see like dick and balls in your and eyes. that dog had some saggy balls. And oh. it was in slow motion. They had like a phantom flex camera capturing 300 frames per second of ball sack. And it's all low. It's like a foot camera. So to like cut from like him running like of his feet to like the dog running. And so it's just, a, it's like mid camera. It's not hidden at all it's just balls so so much dog balls you know it's gotta be period you know i I don't know if they were neutering in 1960 yeah yeah it's before bob barker came along and let people know these are these are important facts to keep up we gotta appreciate that they they kept it in period right the dog trainer was like sorry i I can't give you a neutered dog it's gotta be it's gotta be a, a ball full dog oh yeah so that's so that's getting into the, like the real plot of the movie. So the the plot after several like little vignettes, the the ball gets cracked over the fence. Oh no! This time the Babe Ruth ball gets cracked over. the Yeah. Fence. So the Babe Ruth ball gets cracked over the fence uh, because it's a Babe Ruth ball that belongs to Smalls' stepdad that he has stolen without his dad's permission. His stepdad, by the way, played by Dennis Leary. That's really weird. It's, it's weird casting. Yeah. Now knowing who Dennis Leary is, yeah. it's it's just it well, seems it's, odd. It's Bob Saget full house casting. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like at any moment you expect him to be like you fucking little pissy. You want? Yeah. Like, like he's gonna just start mouthing off and chain smoking. Like you need him to. Be, you you're expecting him. He's like in this wholesome movie, and you're like, oh no, he's gonna he's gonna say something awful. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, so so Small steals the the baseball and then promptly scores his first and as far as we know only home run, cracking it over the beast fence. And uh, 
The Beast Fence. Which is when Squints relates the legend of the beast. So this is the flashback within the flashback within the nostalgic movie that we're nostalgic for. Which does has the famous forever quote. The yeah. forever. <laughs> like how long do you have to keep the beast chained up for? Forever. <laughs> forever. And even in the flashback, they use the giant dog puppet yeah. to make it seem the size of like a Mini Cooper. You know, <laughs> And I really love, I really love that it's Squints telling this story because his grandfather was, was the supposedly chief the chief of police that did this and said, <laughs> you have to lock your dog up forever. This is a very old dog. He's very old. Well, he said that like he'd been locked up for 20 years. Yeah, this yeah. dog supposedly lived to be like 199 in, in dog, dog years. years. Which, wait, let's do the math real quick. That's 20, <laughs> if you go by seven dog years a year, 20 is 140 dog years. So this dog is like 27 years old before it dies. This is a really old dog. It's not possible. Yeah, it's an it's a English Mastiff. I'd be surprised if they live longer than 12 years. Oh my God, no. I think the bigger the dog, the less they live. Uh, so I, I think you'd live like seven years, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sad. Well, and that's the thing. So it brings up, Laura, you made a great point that early on, before we ever see the dog, we see visions of the dog, his shadow on the fence. We maybe see a paw as it like pounds the dirt and you're like oh this is so cute that this movie because it's a memory is being told the way the kid remembers it and that gives the beast its size is we understand that we're what we're we've got an unreliable narrator here Mm -hmm. so of course in his memory until we actually full-on see the beast in the climactic scene like the beast is bear-sized it's giant and when we actually meet him, I wanted to cuddle the fuck out of that dog. Oh, it's such a cute dog. Oh, my God. If anything, it's like, a, it's almost a, I mean, it does lose a little bit of its power once it becomes a real dog. Because yeah. you, you then, you see it as like a dog. And you're like, oh, I bet that dog's just pretty sweet. But he did chase the hell out of Chase him around Benny. town. Yeah, around the entire town. They went from the sandlot to the sandlot through some sort of festival that they were having, some sort of giant cake festival, I can only assume that this town has once a year. It turns into like a big slapstick thing where like every every single thing that they get into gets ruined while this dog is chasing Benny. Uh, which actually, so but the, the story, when Squints is telling the backstory of the beast, he's telling it in their treehouse. The thing that I really love about this scene is, so this scene has the famous s'mores scene where Ham... Uh, the, uh, the fat kid is like, uh, hey, Smalls, you want a s'more? S'more what? Uh, no, no, no. Do you want a, um, a s'more? Well, I haven't had anything, so why would I want s'more of something? Ugh, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> and uh, so then he proceeds to show him how to build a, a s'more and it's fantastic acting on the part of this kid who plays ham uh also i feel like smalls has a horrible like i don't I, what rock has he been living under he doesn't know what s'mores are he like doesn't hasn't even ever heard of a s'more i don't know what their popularity was in the 60s but i feel like it, he like it would be insane if you hadn't heard of a s'more but then also he like doesn't know who babe, babe ruth, ruth is, is and spends the entire summer playing baseball with it like never coming up or him visiting a library or looking in his dad's study or anything like right. that like this is an entire movie that basically would have been solved by google right i i was <laughs> i was reminiscing on how oh guys this is 
this is nostalgic for a time when ignorance just happened and you had to be quiet about it. Like, you couldn't just immediately get out your phone and be like, okay, who, the, who is everybody talking about so I don't seem like an idiot? Because I don't know if you guys have ever done that when you've been at a party and people are talking about something and you're just like, let me just, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. And like, yeah, you're like, oh, I got a text. <laughs> yeah. Like, even even during this movie, I was like, I was like, I am DBing it to be like, oh, that is the right actor. I did say the right actor. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Like, and yeah, this is just like a movie about like blissful ignorance. I mm. miss that. Yeah. I mean, we, go, we grew up that way, too. We, yeah, there, there was a time we are we are of the last generation who didn't have access at our fingertips for every answer when we were kids. When I was in high school, I still used encyclopedias. Wow. Mm -hmm. I, but I'm from Iowa, so I might be a little behind. (laughs) The internet came late to Iowa. (laughs) Didn't have it till I was a senior in high school. I could have sworn though, going back to the movie that it, so the the last bit of it, and I'm sorry, spoilers. um, It's it's James Earl Jones plays like the last, the like guy who like owns the dog and and gives him the new baseball. And I could have sworn it was an old lady. I think I even say it was an old lady. I thought it was like an old lady who like, and they think it's going to be like this guy. And then it's like this sweet old lady who then has all these like baseball memorabilia. I have a hunch that's a different movie. Maybe, but like, I like, Absolutely. If if you had asked me at the beginning of this movie, I would have been like, yes, it's an old lady who gives him the baseball and she has all this memorabilia and like forgotten all about the fact that he's blind or like that he played with like Babe Ruth. Yeah. Like, and so all of those facts were completely gone. I thought it was just an old lady. Um, in watching James Earl Jones in this film, in this role, um, I was so moved by his by his acting and by his story. Like, now being older, and especially, like, I feel like, last time I saw this movie, all I could think about was the thing I wanted to do when I grew up. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of feel like the thing I wanted to do as a kid I've already done, and it's, like, behind me, and I'm kind of look back on it a little bit. And to see this man looking back with glee to this time in his life that was kind of robbed from him because he lost his eyesight, like, at the height of his career. Yeah. Um, I really connected with him and like how he told the story and like the just the sheer glee that he had in being able to have these kids in his house. You can tell he doesn't really have much of a like interaction with people. And this felt like such a special moment. And I just was like so choked up. I was like, oh, I'm so glad that they connected. That this, <laughs> that this all happened. So now this old man has like these cool kids that are interested in the things that he spent his entire <laughs> life being. I like started crying. I think there's an element too. And like, may, and maybe it's just as you, as you grow up and as you achieve your dreams or not achieve your dreams or realize that like achieving your dreams is a much more complicated and complex idea. There's, like, a level of, like, realizing that, like, you know, one person gets to be Babe Ruth, but there were a lot of people that played with him. And yeah. he talks about how he was, like, on on his way to, like, breaking his record anyway, like, while playing. But then he got hit in the head and got blinded. And there's just, like, a reminder of, like, how many people don't get remembered but still do great things. Yeah, and exactly. like, that was also really nice in this idea. And then he's, like... A, total awesome guy with these kids being like, let's just talk baseball and I'm going to become your mentor. Uh, and I'm going to save you out of this jam. Yeah. And like give you this priceless ball that I could probably even then have sold for a lot of money. Like that's so nice. Like it's just, I, it's just a level of like, 
I guess it was like I, he was showing off how, like the adult that I'd like to become. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it is, and it is cool because there are so there is often so much messaging in these movies that like adults just suck, and a, adulthood is a is you know a final destination like death for all all kids. As you're watching kids movies, always adults are always the antagonists. They're always the villains. There's never likable adults except for maybe parents in a movie, but they're never main character enough to matter. And so it is kind of refreshing to see at least a movie with an adult where you're like. Hell yeah, good adult. And not only that, the narrative up until the point when you met him was that he was this horrible person that fed, you know, children, children to, the dog. to the dog. And so to not only have him, not only have him, A, not be a part of that, and B, not live up to the to the jaded, angry version of a person who lost their eyesight at the height of their career, and instead have him be filled with, like, life and laughter and just kind of a part of like, well, this is life and here I am blind and 60 and talking to you in my living room. And I don't know, there's just something so, I was like so touched by the experience of life in yeah. that moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it is like going back to like the adults being villains, like even like Dennis Leary as like the stepdad is like never has time to teach him how to throw a ball kind of thing. And even then though like, he obviously cares about baseball. So you would think that yeah. teaching his adopted son how to play baseball would be a treat that instead of a dread. But he's always working yeah. and he's always going off to work. And then as soon as they have this interaction with the James Earl Jones character, like it becomes like, oh, now we're now we're playing catch in the yard. Like it, the real like Cat Stevens song come to come to life moment. <laughs> well, I think that there's a little bit in there where he's like, oh shit, the kid stole my ball, and then like spent four days trying to get it back from this dog. Okay, maybe this kid isn't as much of a loser. Little like, <laughs> no, because. I I don't say he's a loser, but there, I felt Dennis in the beginning. Yeah, Dennis Leary thinks he's a loser. I felt in the beginning that he <laughs> An didn't. L seven weenie. <laughs> I didn't feel like he had much time for the kid because the kid was kind of like a nerd, and he didn't really seem like a guy that could really. Like Act. a jock dad with a nerd son. Yeah, exactly. And it's not even his kid, and he's not really, you know, doing the best job of, like, feeling like it's his responsibility. I kind of feel like after the whole thing um, went down, and it was like, oh, man, the kid, like, stole my property, <laughs> ruined it, and then somehow was able to parlay that into this awesome, way cooler thing. All right, this kid's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so there are two little vignettes that I feel like are worth touching on uh, that are also in this movie. And the first one is when Squints is pervin on a dish, as they say. <laughs> so pervin on a dish. So Squints uh, has a crush on the local lifeguard, Wendy Peppercorn, as I believe myself and every boy my age. I mean, like, I got out of crush her, too. But she's she's a, very attractive. She's pretty banging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they they let you know that. Yeah, yeah. there's lots of male gaze in this. One. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Lots of and lots of eleven and twelve year old male gaze. It was a lot of hubba hubba going on. It's yeah, a, yeah it's such an awkward male gaze too because it's coming from these like prepubescent <laughs> little boys. So it's, yeah, it's and she's probably sixteen. Yeah, and she is a well well developed. She is 16. well endowed. Oh, yeah, I bet she was like thirty five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But so, after Squints has caught Pervin on a dish, it's an exceptionally <laughs> hot day. I just love Pervin on a dish. Pervin on a dish. I'm totally integrating. Like, Pervin on a dish. I'm totally integrating it into my lexicon. Pervin on a Stop dish. Pervin on that dish. Yeah. So, uh, it's a particularly hot day, and so all the boys decide, like, let's go to the pool, let's knock off and not play baseball. So they're in the pool, and Squints becomes so overcome with his horniness for for Windy Peppercorn that he attempts to drown himself, knowing that she will give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Uh, and at one point, he is resuscitated, but then continues to pretend to be drowned so he can, like, really... Like hardcore back of the head force kisser, and that as soon as he does it, that magic moment starts playing, and I realize every time I hear that magic moment or this magic moment, I think of Squints kissing Heather. You're thinking about him pervin on a dish every time. (laughs) That magic moment is a song about pervin on a dish, as far as I'm concerned. It was. You know, it certainly had a bit of the male gaze in it. It's not, like, the greatest moment in terms of, like, let's treat women with equality. But it also, it, like, I don't know. It sort of worked in that sense of, like, this is their memory and it's a nostalgia factor. And I was trying to think back on, like, now and then, if it, if we're equating it, if there was, like, a, a real moment where they, like, they perv on a male dish. They do. <laughs> See? There totally is. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think as long as there's a quali- equal perving. She, it, it. Pervin on a stud. Yeah. Pervin on a stud. <laughs> oh, and I'm thinking about now and then in Devon Sawa and uh, Christina we'll ha- Ricci. We'll have to do that. Hardcore. Bring, have, bring me back. We'll say, do if, you fa- if you have fond memories. I do have fond memories all right, of now and all then. Right. Bring, it, bring me back. Two. We'll do a nostalgia fest. We'll be back for part two, the girls' sandlot, when Ooh. we watch now, now and, and then. then. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, I'm watching it, and I remember as a kid thinking, that is legendary. And there was times when I thought, man, if I wasn't so afraid of drowning by accident, (laughs) I would totally try and pull this move off. I would totally try to perv on that dish. What I noticed is like how, how many times that plan could go wrong because like, there's like a male lifeguard just standing right there and helps them out of the pool. And then she's the one who gives them mouth to mouth. And I was like, really, if we're talking just safety, that guy should have given him mouth to mouth because he got there faster. And, so she, like, and she just got done swimming. So she's like... Yeah, I'm like, in terms of safety protocol, Squints, this could have gone real wrong. <laughs> and that would have been a hilarious gag as well. It wouldn't have quite had the golden summer appeal to it. But to have Squints come out of and being like mouth to mouth by some like pimply faced dude would have been <laughs> hilarious. It would have been pretty good. I mean, it's kind of, it kind of highlights how like also a lot of like growing up and like having these like latchkey summer moments are like kind of you putting yourself in positions that could potentially go real awry and kind of like skis ball moments. Like a lot of it's like, oh man, I had like my first beer in like the garage, which sort of requires like, you know, someone's 22-year-old cousin being cool with, like, giving a 10-year-old a beer. You know, it's like the, yeah, yeah. it's like in that level of, like, there's just, like, an awkwardness about growing up that sort of, like, has this kind of gross factor. Yeah, I, feel like I've had, I feel like I've had a lot of stories. People talk about, yeah, man, it makes me think of this time when I was, like, 14, and the first time I got, like, really blackout wasted, my 26-year-old... Yeah, this is a really fucked up story now that I think about it. You know, like, and it's always like, yeah, we were we were swimming down at the quarry and I was 
wasted. And it, this is this is a week before my 14th birthday. Yes. <laughs> just like, whoa, dude. I mean, I think there's like a level of, I was thinking about this where it's like, it has this like freedom where like the parents don't really care. They're just sort of like, oh yeah, go out and do whatever and come back for dinner. And like, I can kind of see how like helicopter parenting came about. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I when yeah. enough kids die or go missing. <laughs> this was pre like the serial killer golden era of the 70s. So <laughs> like, you know. Son of Sam hadn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah this is, yeah. by the way, um, can we just talk about uh, the guy, they, they all, it all ends with like the, where they are ended up now. And, and one of the kids just got really into the 60s and <laughs> just disappeared. disappeared. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. He, do- he joined a cult, right? Like right. that's, that's what happened. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. The funny thing about it, and this is like a weird, this movie came out in 1993. The actor who plays Bertram goes on to be one of the star actors in that TV series, The 60s, that happened in the late 90s. He did actually go on to get lost in The 60s. But that happened after this movie. Yeah. Like in a bit of weird predictive. It's what happens when you go fifth level deep on your nostalgia. (laughs) We're just stuck in a time loop. We're going to be stuck in this nostalgia cycle forever. Yeah. Eventually, we're going to get to Ghost Babe Ruth coming out and telling us about this recording of the podcast. (laughs) You guys know what I'm really nostalgic for? The beginning of this podcast when Diana came on and was telling us all about herself. (laughs) Yeah. so uh, one of the last the last segments I really want to talk about because it really stands out to me is the night after the boys beat the 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 preppy kids the rich uniform the kids. rich uniform kids Benny treats everybody to this carnival and the thing they all decide to do chew uh, in this great little essentially PSA within the movie <laughs> to try and like kind of downplay the negative effects of like baseball on young boys like encouraging them to do tobacco because all the boys take a big mouthful of dip and like then... at least three times the amount you're supposed to have <laughs> like, oh too yeah much. too much they're like packing their mouths with this gross shit and then they get on a carnival ride uh, and then the song tequila starts playing and as soon as it starts playing I was like Oh, yes. Every time tequila comes on, no matter where I'm at, I imagine a carnival and kids puking. Like, tequila is the sound of kids puking at a carnival. To this me. soundtrack seems to narrate your life. You got a lot of, uh, yeah, this soundtrack yeah. associations. This one's got, this one goes deep with you. Well, I'm definitely like subconscious. I'm really glad we did the Sandlot because Sandlot. There are certainly out there in the ether, if they haven't already been thrown away, there are certainly papers turned in in elementary school where they ask you to describe yourself and have you write down like your favorite book and your favorite movie. And I wrote Sandlot for so many years. That was my favorite movie. Like, and I didn't even like baseball when I was a kid. Like, I don't think you have to like baseball to like what this movie has going on. See, I like, there's like, I mean, I really, I really enjoy baseball. I actually really enjoy minor league baseball. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I like go to Rancho Cucamonga Quakes games. Go Quakes! <laughs> it's amazing because awesome. it's super cheap and it's like, and it's it's pretty good. Like they actually have really decent fireworks displays. But it's like it's just this love of the pageantry of the game and like so. Can I you please invite me sometime. This yes, summer? this I summer we'll go. We'll go to the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. It's amazing. I will go every week. The mascot is uh, is Tremor. He's a little like gremlin creature, (laughs) and he has a shorter, smaller gremlin creature called Aftershock. (laughs) Oh my god, I love it! I can't wait. Minor league baseball is just amazing. (laughs) 
Uh, and so the kind of the like you mentioned, the, the movie ends with a showdown between Benny the Jet Rodriguez and the Beast, where after he has his vision from Babe Ruth, he jumps over the fence, snatches the ball, and then the gets chased all around the town. And that sort of establishes his legend in the town of being like the fastest kid in town and then grows up to be a professional baseball player on the Dodgers. <laughs> where our where our narrator is become Vince Scully and is the he is Vince Scully and announces for Dodgers games so yeah. yeah and this also kind of highlights like the the way that this movie like kind of relentlessly uh plunders from stand by me there are several moments like one stand by me has this kind of gross out barf scene it also has the epilogue where every single character fades away and they tell them like, and then this kid did this and this kid did this. But I, I still dig it anyway. Like that sort of, I feel like that's kind of how you, it's like the boilerplate for this is how coming of age movies are. They will have, you know, they will have fanciful sick out scenes and they will have insults and boy fights and they will have fadeaway epilogues. Well, I don't think, I don't think sticking to like a template on a movie is like a bad way to go all the time. I mean, it doesn't always indicate like you're not going to win an award for it, but like it's a good time. Like, I mean, that's absolutely the reason why I love sports movies is like, I'm like, I'm going to watch this, this like, you know, underdog team win the big game. Like, and in many ways, this is like exactly what that is. And so it's like, I don't mind the fact that it has a lot of things that are similar to other movies yeah. because I love those things and I want to watch them. And I think this one does it really well. Yeah. So do you think, given the time when you watched it, was this appropriate viewing for you as a kid? And yeah. would you show this to your own child? Yes. I, I I think definitely by the time I saw it, I I don't think it was like in an inappropriate moment. Like, I don't think there was anything scarring in this movie. And I would show it to my own child. I think so. Like... Maybe I'd have a conversation yeah. that girls can play baseball too, but other than that, I think it was pretty tame. You know, it didn't have totally. like. Would you show your your children this movie? So yeah, absolutely. And I feel like this was totally a great kids film, and I totally see as an adult how it's a great adult film. Um, I do have one thing to say, and that is, I am stunned that I wasn't completely into. Benny Rodriguez as a, oh. as a small child. I mean, I'm he's into him right now. like, uncomfortably attractive as an adult woman. <sighs> and he's, like, 13. Um, how did that happen? Yeah, but Michael was he, Vitar, like, in Vitar. the teen beat world? Like, he did I miss have. him? Was I so obsessed with JTT that I never noticed this cute, like... Boy in in Mateen beats? Because if he wasn't, what a loss. Maybe they, you know, he he... Maybe they were a little racist. Maybe Tim Team Beat was racist. He, he couldn't. It was only JTD. <laughs> and Ryder Kirby. Strong and Devin Sawa. They were all white. Boys. He also like he was like he was a in the to- boy movies. He was in the yeah. boy movies, and the last movie he was in was like D three, and then he had like one other role in ninety seven, and then stopped acting. It looks like according to IMDb. So, you know what happened? Maybe he. Um, all lost I know his is charm. Wikipedia tells me that. Um, in uh, Halloween 2015, he and two other firemen. So he became <gasps> a fireman. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, 
got into a physical altercation with a man that was severely injured, and uh, he was put in jail on $30,000 bail. Oh, well, that's, that ended on a low Zero. note. yeah. But, but he was a, he's a firefighter. We don't know the extent, like, Wikipedia doesn't January, explain why they got in a fight. In tw- January 2017, he pleaded no contest to the charge of misdemeanor battery and right. avoided jail time. So he's, okay. so he's still currently a firefighter, ladies. Do you think there is a fire, like a sexy fireman calendar with his photo in it almost certainly i would pay Guys, good money on he's that on the los angeles fire department <gasps> he's still in our town Guys, somewhere maybe he drove past hold up you live and- real close to a firehouse <laughs> oh my God, do you think we can ask them hey we need to track down what was his, Tra- what's michael his? vitar I, I think i'd be okay with my uh if like my tween girl like if i had a kid and she she put up his poster michael vitar's poster yeah. on the wall i'd be like good choice yeah <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely a movie I would show. Not only would I show, I would like watch it with my kid. Like I feel like this is a fun. I had like a, just a lot of fun watching yeah. this movie. Yeah, it was really. a good time. It was not a slog at all. Yeah, and it's no. kind of on the long side for kids' movies. Yeah, it so it's like almost, almost two two hours. Yeah. yeah, for a movie that's long, it definitely like goes along. It's really interesting. The scenes aren't repetitive and. You know, I kept waiting to not like one of the actors and every single one of the little kids, like, I thought was adding something. It was fun and had, like, an interesting thing to do or say. So, yeah. All around winner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, also, the mom has freckles. And, like, I want more freckled adult women on screen. Totally. Yeah. I was like, whoa, what a foxy, freckly mom. She is real foxy. And she's got, like, real mom arms. She doesn't have, like, creepy Madonna arms, you know? Like, she has a little bit of a little bit of flub on her arms, which I was, like, really digging. Uh, well, this brings us around to our title question. Do I still love it? Diana writes. I do. I still love it. Is there a thing? Is there a button I have to press? No. Uh, Yeah, the the large green one on the wall. Gong! (laughs) I still love it. Does Laura Weiss still love it? Hard yes. And, uh... Marshall James! Do I still love it? Hell yes. Uh, There really wasn't any part of this movie where I wasn't, like, smiling and enjoying it. Like, I could have eaten several bowls of popcorn just watching this movie. Yeah. This movie is, like... The ideal that this podcast is all about is like discovering that a movie that you fucking loved is worth every ounce of love you have for it. It, yeah, this one, it's it's worth the nostalgia factor. I think uh, <laughs> seven levels deep, seven layers <laughs> deep nostalgia. It's worth it. This is a movie that I would go and do a summer screening of. I, in fact, I feel like it, it deserves like a cemetery screening. That's totally. very, that's a very LA deep reference. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, they sh- they show outdoor movies in the uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery here in LA. Is there anywhere anything else? Since how easily can they find you? And what sort of projects of yours would you like to plug? Oh sure. Um, yeah, uh, watch my web series, hashtag hashtagging. You'll see a cameo of me in it. Oh, Laura is in it. She's Became great. SAG eligible. <laughs> I, I made her SAG eligible. It's a real dream come true. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at That's Right, right with a W, um, and Instagram at That's Right 24. I failed at personal branding. I failed at it so bad. <laughs> You didn't check all the websites first before. No, I was like, ah, oh, screw it. I'll just, I'll just do this, and then lost everything. So, and you know, it's, it's not do. I still love it. Dot com, which is well branded on every site. 
Um, it's true. We got them all. Uh, well, you can find us all over the internet at Do I Still Love It. Uh, just Google it. We got all the Do I Still Love It. Yeah, uh, find us everywhere. Uh, follow us on... Follow us. You can't follow us on iTunes, on but you can things. subscribe to us on iTunes. And please do rate and review us if you love it and share the podcast with your friends. Uh, well, anyway, I'd really like to thank our guest, Diana Wright. You've been a treasure Ooh. and a treat. And we will have you back on Now and Then, and I cannot wait for Oh, that. my God. So tune in uh, for that episode, maybe coming later on this year, where we will... Visit the girl side of the coin of the <laughs> seven-layer dip that is nostalgia. Uh, but uh, that's it for this week. I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weave. Saying, uh, see you next time. You're, You're killing, killing me, me, Smalls! smalls.